Well, hi guys. Good morning. How are we doing today? Cold, cold in here, huh? You're here. That's a good thing. Yeah. Thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, I want to. We last week we finished up a series that we've been doing for a while about feelings, the feelings that we feel. And uh, I had a couple guys help me preach that series. I want to say a big thank you to Jonathan and Caleb. They did a great job. We talked. They they specifically talked about anger, sadness, and joy. And uh, I just thought it was. It was actually really cool for me to sit and listen and learn. So I hope you guys enjoyed that too. Um, this morning we start a different series. We start a new series. We start our Christmas series, uh, which I'm excited about too because it's December and it's Christmas time. We got snow on the ground. It feels like winter time, right? And when I think about Christmas, I don't know how you uh, like relate with Christmas, but when I when I think about Christmas and experiencing Christmas. And what it's about, it feels a bit like a mixed bag to me, you know, because on one hand, Christmas is like the day that we as Christians celebrate that changed every other day, right? In the course of human history, it's the day that God became flesh. It's the day that this little baby was born to Joseph and Mary that was unlike any other baby ever, right? And he came, God became flesh, God became one of us, um, not just to experience life, you know, and to see what it would be like to live as a human being, but he came with a mission. He came to save us. He came to bring peace on earth. And so on one hand, I think about Christmas, I'm like, yes, peace on earth has come, right? This is Christmas time. But then Christmas is also the time that Santa Claus comes to town, right? And it's this big sort of commercial, chaotic, consumer-driven holiday. And we have uh, things like Black Fridays, right? Where you can get incredible deals on lots of stuff. We have things like Cyber Mondays now, where you can get even better deals because you don't have to go out and deal with people anymore. You can do it all from the comfort of your own couch, right? And we're pushed, pushed, pushed to spend, spend, spend on lots of different stuff for people. Some things that people want, some things that people actually need, and then a lot of stuff that they don't want or they need, right? And as we spend, 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 debt builds and builds and builds. But we don't worry about that because it's Christmas time. That's what January's for, right? That's when we worry about that. And you think about secret Santas, and you think about Christmas parties, and you think about um, new reasons for Christians to boycott and hate Starbucks because of what they put or they don't put on their cups. Oh, we get so mad about that, right? Like this is what, it's getting cold outside. It's getting gray outside. Like I said, we have snow out there. And we're like, all right, this, this, I guess, too, is what Christmas is. It, it kind of doesn't feel as much like peace has come, right? And then, I don't know about you, then I look at our world, and I'm like, our world is chaos in so many ways. You know, you step out the door, and uh, you're encountered with grumpy people, right? Maybe sometimes we're the grumpy people, right? You, we have these Christmas celebrations, these uh, oftentimes family celebrations, and many times they're awkward, they're uncomfortable, because we have dysfunctional families, right? You see these like broken families and broken relationships. Christmas time for some people is a time of great pain and sadness, because maybe this is the first Christmas that you don't have the loved one with you. They died for whatever reason, disease or or overdose, or, or accident, or whatever, and, and Christmas, these holidays can be extremely painful. You look around and you see turmoil 
all over the world. You just turn on the news or you click on the news and you see it everywhere, disunity everywhere, sexual harassment cases all over the place, all throughout Hollywood, all throughout politics and many of our workplaces. We see school shootings, we see violent protests, we see wars and fightings, you see videos of people being beheaded, you see terrible, terrible things all over the world, pain all over the world. And we're like, this, I guess, is Christmas time too? You know, it doesn't, it doesn't really feel like peace has come. And yet, I, I think we all long for peace still, don't we? Like we look at the anger and the frustration and the disunity and the depression and the pain and all of that stuff and the just general angst. And we're like, I don't like it. I don't want that. I want peace. I want to experience peace. I want to experience wholeness. I want to experience completion. I want to experience joy. And so what do we do? Like naturally as humans, what do we do? Well, we search for peace, right? And, and wherever we could find it, we search for peace. So we're doing this series. We're starting this series this morning uh, called Peace on Earth with a question mark at the end as a question because sometimes it doesn't feel like there's much peace on earth. And here's what I want to do in this series. I want to look at um, actually three different people in the Bible that I think were very clearly searching for peace in their lives. And each of them were doing it in different ways. They were searching for peace in different ways. Uh, what we're going to look at this morning, a woman searching for peace, I'm going to pull out two different ways. I think very clearly she was searching for it. And so I want to look at that because the people in the Bible, the people in the scriptures are real people just like you and me, right? And what they dealt with, they may have dressed differently. They may have worn tunics instead of khakis or a dress or whatever, right? They are dressed differently, but they dealt with the same sort of human things that we deal with. So I want to look at these three lives of these folks over the next few weeks leading up to Christmas and how we search for peace in these different ways and ultimately how all of them fall short compared to the peace that changes everything that Jesus brings to us. Okay, so that's my goal with this series. So why don't we do this? Why don't we just jump right into it? So if you've got a Bible, flip it open. If you have a smartphone, and perhaps during that next song, you downloaded the app, you can uh, open the Grace Church app as well. I actually would really encourage you guys to, uh, to download that. It's quick, it's easy, and it is helpful. There's all the, all the stuff in the program, the little connection card, all that stuff you can see in there as well. But there's a little Bible thing too that you could jump to. So we're going to be in John chapter 4, John chapter 4 in verse 3. And uh, I want to give you just a, a quick little background with this. So John, the guy that's writing uh, this, John, by the way, is in the second half of our Bibles, in the New Testament of our Bibles, fourth book, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one of the four Gospels. And so this guy, John, who wrote this, was um, probably Jesus' best friend, certainly one of his best friends on earth. And so he was one of his uh, earliest followers, most committed followers, right? And he was with Jesus throughout all of these things that he writes down. He was, he was there. These were firsthand experiences that John makes note of, okay? And so where we're going to jump in, in chapter 4, um, so it's kind of, we're jumping in at the end, right after the end of a section, at the beginning of a new section. And so where we're jumping in, Jesus has been in Judea, Jerusalem area, and he's going north. He's going on a little trip up to Galilee, Okay? And about halfway between Jerusalem and Galilee is an area called Samaria. Okay? And in Samaria, there's a little town called Sakar. And that's where our story takes place. Okay? When I say story, by the way, I don't mean like fable story. I mean like his story. Right? 
Okay, so here it is. So John chapter 4, verse 3. So this is what it says. We're just going to dig into this. So he left, Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came down, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Those are um, forefathers of the Jewish nation, Jacob and Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to drink, to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask for a drink? How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate, associate with Samaritans. So let's stop right there. So w- when you hear that, when you read that, I don't know what goes through your mind. I can tell you this, when I read that at first, I think, well, these are just sort of details that are giving us a little bit of context to get into the story, sort of unimportant details to get into the important part of the story. I can kind of quickly go past those. But the details in this, in this particular story are very, very important. They're very, very interesting. So, so Jesus is going up to Galilee, right? And Samaria is in between uh, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, and Galilee. And it says, this is so interesting to me, it says, I don't know if you caught this, now he had to go through Samaria. It says Jesus had to go through Samaria. And the reason that's interesting is because he didn't have to go through Samaria. There's, there's another route that he could go. Going through Samaria was the most direct route, but Jews at that time many times would bypass Samaria. They would not, if they were going from Judea to Galilee, they would not go through Samaria. They would bypass Samaria. Why? Well, because they didn't like the Samaritans. Jews didn't like Samaritans. They saw Samaritans as like half-breeds, right? And so they, they were uh, kind of half-Jew, half-Gentile. So they were Jews that over time intermarried with pagan Gentiles. And so they, the Jews saw them as people that compromised. They didn't follow what God said. And so they even set up like their own priests, their own places to worship, instead of worshiping the way and the place that God told the Jews to worship. And so what they did was they sort of mixed worship of God, worship of Yahweh, with worship of other things and other gods. It's called syncretism. Sort of synchronize this worship together. And so the Jews hated that, right? And so they were actually like disgusted by the Samaritans. And so they would go out of their way. If they were going to Galilee, they would literally have to cross a river and go around and then cross the river again to get up to Galilee, okay? But it says in our passage, it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Why do you think that is? It's interesting. Why do you think that is? Could, could it be that maybe there was somebody in Samaria that he wanted to talk to? Maybe there's somebody that he had to talk to in Samaria. And maybe these people that the Jews were disgusted by, were repulsed by, Jesus wasn't disgusted by them. Jesus wasn't repulsed by them. But instead, he wanted them to know and he wanted them to believe. It's interesting. We're going to stop short of this um, here this morning. But if you continue reading uh, the rest of chapter 4 from where we stop, Jesus actually ends up spending two days in Samaria. And what it says is, um, after his time there, many became believers and came to know that this man was the savior of the world. Right? So Jesus 
had to go through Samaria. He takes this very intentional bypass there. So he gets to Samaria and he stops in a town called Sakar. And there's a well there that apparently uh, their, the Jewish forefather Jacob had dug this well. And so Jesus gets there and he's tired and it says he sits down next to this well and he says that it's about noon, right? And again, details that we could just sort of gloss over and go, okay, who cares what time it is, right? But it's also very, very interesting because as he's sitting there, there's a Samaritan woman that comes up to him to get water. Not to him, but she just comes up to get water. And the reason this is interesting is because that's not the normal time that a woman would go get water in that culture. It's, it's hot, Palestine is hot. The heat of midday blazing down. First of all, women wouldn't have typically gone alone. They would have gone in groups and they wouldn't have gone in the middle of the day in the hot of the day. They would have gone either early in the morning or later in the evening. But here she is, which is curious, right? And as she comes, Jesus is all alone because his disciples had gone off into town to get some food. And, uh, it, you know, it seems like we have a little bit of just sort of innocent thing. Jesus asking her, uh, can, I, can I have a drink of water? Will you get me a drink of water? But upon closer inspection, Jesus is actually breaking some pretty significant cultural rules. First, because in general, again, the Jews hated the Samaritans, so they were supposed to stay away from them. We just talked about that. But many of them took it a step further. They would twist some of the uh, uh, Jewish ceremonial laws in Leviticus 15, the, the cleanliness laws, right? And they would say, um, if you were engaged with a Samaritan, if you touched a Samaritan, or you touched something a Samaritan touched, then you were unclean, right? They were unclean people. And if you had interaction with them, if you touched anything that they touched, then, they were, then you became unclean as well, religiously unclean. And so Jesus, of course, knows this, but he, does buy, he doesn't care, apparently. He sort of disregards his cultural rule. But then he breaks another rule by just talking to her, right? Because men were not supposed, again, different culture than we're in here today. But in that culture, it was inappropriate for men to talk to women in public. It was improper. It was uncouth, right? He wasn't supposed to do it. And yet Jesus initiates this conversation with this woman. So in summary, he talks to a woman in public who's a Samaritan, and he asks her for some unclean water. These are the rules that Jesus breaks. And when the woman hears this, you can kind of see it from the text, she's kind of shocked by it. She's taken aback. She wasn't expecting this. She says, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink, right? Like she immediately knows that what's happening here is not right. It's not ordinary, right? But it's interesting. Jesus has much bigger things in mind than just getting a drink of water from this woman. Look, look at the next verse. Look at verse 10. So, so, Jesus, so she says to him, you know, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Then Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as, as did also his sons and livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. 
Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Okay, let's stop there. So immediately, Jesus kind of changes the conversation here, right? He starts out talking about physical water. Will you give me a drink of water? And then he changes it to living water. He changes it to sort of spiritual things. And so he's like, if you knew who was asking you for water, you would have asked me for living water. And the woman is confused, right? Like as I look at her, I, and I can relate to that. I think I would be confused in that situation too. Because she's like, living water? Like, you don't even have a container, a bucket, anything to get water out. How are you going to be able to give me this living water? And, and there's another interesting thing. It's kind of unclear um, what exactly she was thinking, what, what she thought Jesus meant by the living water, because back then in the Greek culture, they described, uh, uh, they would use the term living water to describe flowing water, right? Flowing water is water that you, it's drinkable water. Stagnant water you can't drink. Flowing water is good water, right? And so it's unclear a little bit, like, what's she thinking that Jesus meant? Did she think that Jesus may have had some sort of, you know, special magical water that when you drank it, it quenched your thirst forever? Or did Jesus just, did she think Jesus just knew about maybe some unknown water source that had drinkable water that she could go to? It's unclear what, what she knew at that point. And so she kind of probes a little bit, you know, like, who, who are you? Who, who are you? She says to him, are you greater than our forefather Jacob? And then, and then Jesus explains exactly what he means. He's like, my water's different. My water will satisfy you like nothing else. In fact, it'll become a spring inside of you. This, this ongoing, overflowing, constant water supply that will even well up to eternal life. And again, I think she's confused. Right? Like, I don't think she totally understands, but she's like, I don't know exactly what you mean, but yes, please. I, I will take that sort of water that you're describing there because then I don't have to keep coming back to this well to draw water. Here's a question for you, an important question. In fact, I put it on a slide. Why do you think she was so eager to not be thirsty and not have to keep coming back to that well? Again, an easy thing to just sort of gloss over in the story you think she didn't want she was so eager to not be thirsty and not have to keep coming back to that well it's an important question inconvenience i don't know she didn't she didn't have to want anything you know like the, the 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 pain and the work of like carrying a bucket there and getting water for the day maybe going back twice a day save a little time or do you think it was another reason well jesus knew and he gets at her heart look at this next verse look at verse 16 so he told her completely changes the subject. He says, go call your husband and come back. And she says, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Let's stop right there bunch here let's stop right there what's happening here well it's interesting jesus is getting at this woman's heart right and he's showing her that he's someone different he's showing her he's someone powerful and he's letting her know that he knows her secret he he knows her ugly side 
the side that certainly she's ashamed of, she's not proud of, she's probably embarrassed of, and yet is still choosing, right? She still makes those choices to go from man to man to man. See, Jesus broke a lot of cultural rules by just having the conversation with her, but she's broken some much bigger ones because back then, especially, promiscuity and sexual immorality for a woman would have been like a big scarlet letter A on her chest, right? People would have stayed away from her. People would have whispered about her when she walked by. No one respectable would have had a conversation with her or been her friend. She would have been an outcast. And you think about that, all of a sudden, it makes a little bit more sense why she was out getting water at noon when no one else was around. It makes a little bit more sense why this living water was so attractive to her because she wouldn't then have to go back to that stupid well anymore. How does she respond to the heart probe that Jesus gives her? This is interesting. When the giver of life sees the issue, what's going on, how does she respond? Well, she changes the subject. It's a, it's a strange response when you're reading the text. I don't know. I, I, it took us a while to kind of dig into it. She just sort of changes the subject, and then she tries to justify herself and your people. She says, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Now, let me justify our syncretistic religion to you. Let me tell you how we choose to worship God is just fine. You Jews say that the only place to worship is in, in Jerusalem, is this very specific place. But we've been worshiping on this mountain for years and years and years, generations and generations. What's she doing? I think she's doing what so many people in our culture today do as well. She's saying, this is how I choose to reach out to God. This, this is how I choose to pursue peace. This is my search for peace. You say it's different, but that's so narrow-minded. Why do you think your way is the only way? Let me help you see Jesus. I mean, like, like under, let, me, let me help you see God, that I can go to God any way that I want. And I want you to notice, like I think this is all around us today. We'll talk about this a little bit more in a minute. But I want you to notice how Jesus responds to this woman. Does he just say, you know, okay, well, that's fine. What's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. And just kind of go on. And he doesn't do that. He loves her too much for that. Look at it. Look at verse 21. He says, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you'll worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. What does he do? He corrects her, right? And then he tells her how things are changing. He goes on, he says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. It's powerful. How, how does Jesus respond? Does he just agree with her? No, clearly not. 
Does he just kind of ignore her and let her believe what she wants to believe that's going to make her feel good? No. What does he do? He corrects her, doesn't he? And then he shares with her the key to finding the peace that I promise you she was searching for. Him, right? And, and there's so much in, the, in those little four verses, 21 to 24, there's so much that we could dig into that we could talk about, you know, with worshiping God and spirit and truth. We don't just come to him the way that we want to come to him, you know, but we come to him the way that he tells us to come to him according to his spirit. It's a capital S, spirit, right? According to his spirit and according to his truth, his way. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. But what I want you to see is this woman's search for peace. She's searching for peace. And I want you to see how Jesus responds to her. There's this, there's this evolution, this progression in her thinking, right? So at first, she's just focused on getting water. That's why she's gone to the well. She's thirsty. She needs water for the day, I guess. And then she encounters Jesus, and he talks about this living water. And so she gets pretty excited about this living water that will quench her thirst forever. Why? Because then she doesn't have to keep going back to that well and enduring the whispers, enduring the judgment from people, that wretched well. And then she's confronted by her sin. Jesus changes the subject. She's confronted by her sin. How does she respond? She goes, clearly I can see that you're a prophet, Jesus. I can see that you're a prophet. And then what does she do? changes the subject. She tries to justify herself. She tries to justify her religion, her people. And finally, she doesn't seem like she's sure that she wants to accept what Jesus is telling her. And so how does she respond? She says, well, I know that Messiah is coming. The Savior's coming. And when he comes, he'll sort everything out. He'll sh when he comes, he'll show us how to have peace with God. I'll trust him. How does Jesus respond? I'm him, <laughs> right? Like me, I, the one that you're speaking with, I am he. So, so I want to stop right there. There's so much more to the story. I really encourage you to, to read more. The, uh, so so it, maybe the, to me, one of the most interesting parts of this story uh, with this woman is that it's unclear, actually, if she makes a decision to accept who Jesus is and choose faith choose to follow him but I want to stop right there and I want to talk about this a little bit so when, when I think about peace like the search for peace I think we're all searching for it in our lives at one time or another of course it looks different when you're a child I think we search for peace with more intensity when we don't feel it when our life is in turmoil when things are hard when things are spinning out of control I think we search for peace more when we look at the world and we're like it's not peaceful, it's chaos, and I hate it, and it just, it, it boils up inside of me. I, I was doing a little research on what that word peace means, and, and I pulled some together for a definition. Go to the next slide. Think about this, like just, just um, I don't know, dwell on this for a second. Peace is a state of tranquility or quiet, a state of security, freedom from disquieting or oppressive thoughts or emotions. That sounds pretty good. Harmony in our relationships. How nice would that be? A state of concord or tranquility. I read that and I think about that and I think I would love that. That's, that's what I want 
in my life. I want peace. If only I could have that all the time, how good would that be? And I look at this woman, this Samaritan woman in our story, and I see a woman who's searching for that. I see a woman that that's what she's looking for. And for her, she's doing it in two ways, two, two very unique ways. And it's two ways that you and I search for peace. People, everybody that we know, many of the people that we know, search for peace today in the exact same ways. How is she searching for peace? By the acceptance and the approval of others, right? And through a comfortable religion. Let's talk about these. I want to I just kind of spend a few minutes talking about each one of these. Have an honest conversation, really. I look at this woman and I see somebody who is exceptionally lonely. She's had five, five husbands. Of course, we don't know, you know the situation or how those relationships ended. Five is a lot, right? They probably all didn't just die and she moved on to the next one. Five husbands and now she's with a sixth guy. She's somebody who would not have been accepted by the people in her town. She would have been an outcast. She seemed to be somebody who was looking for acceptance, looking for others to see her as more than just the sum of her bad decisions. And so what does she do? She goes from guy to guy to guy, searching for someone to make her feel valuable, searching for someone to, feel, to fill that void that she feels in her heart, to bring peace to her heart. And maybe as you sit here this weekend, you're like, That's, I can relate to that. That's my struggle too. She felt lonely, I feel lonely. I, th I think we all struggle with um, uh, loneliness at times, but then also looking to others for approval and acceptance that we're, it's gonna make us feel whole. It's gonna make us feel right. There's nothing wrong with wanting other people to love us and accept us and care about us. Like that's natural. But for some of us, in my experience, for some of us, it is a huge struggle. And what I've seen over the last uh, 15 years of, of ministry, of pastoral ministry, is that many of the people that struggle the most with this, that, that I need other people to like me, I find my value in other people's opinions of me, the people that struggle the most in my experience are the ones that never receive that from their parents, right? You know, they never had mom that, that was there for them, that showed them love and affection, unconditional love and affection. They never have a daddy who told them that they loved them. It's amazing how an unhealthy relationship with our parents can affect so many of our other relationships in our lives. And we don't even realize it. The good news is that God can bring healing. Like if you sit here this morning and you're like, yes, that's me. I had a terrible relationship with my parents and I've been searching for peace by looking at other people to accept me and to love me. If that's you, God can bring healing if we want it. I look at this Samaritan woman, and of course we don't know her relationship with her parents, but we certainly see a woman who is searching for value and peace and other people's opinions of her. And she certainly feels the pain that comes from the whispers and the judgment of these women with her at the well. See, she's hoping, think about this, she's hoping to get from other people something that only God can provide. You with me on that? Let, let, let me rephrase that in a form of a question to you. Are you hoping to get from people something that only God can provide? See, very much the same as this Samaritan woman. Many times we could look for the approval and acceptance of others and think it's gonna bring us peace, but it never does. 
it never leads to lasting peace. And I'd really challenge you if this morning if you come in here and you're like, I, I'm lonely, I recognize that, I feel that. And if I'm honest, I look for uh, completion and satisfaction and wholeness in other people's opinions of me. If that's where you're at this morning, I'd really challenge you to talk to the Lord about that this week. Look, look, there's one other thing that, that jumps out to me with this woman, that, that she is trying to find peace, her search for peace. And it's interesting because um, we, we would say this is good in, in, in some way. She's looking for peace with God, right? She, she kind of justifies her religion to Jesus there. But it's interesting because she seems to be only willing to do it on her own terms through a comfortable religion, through a religion that's convenient for her. Again, it's actually unclear if this woman, you read this story, other people come to trust Jesus. She goes out and she tells people, he told me everything about my life, which is not true. He told her some things about her life. He told me everything about my life and people come to believe and they hear Jesus and they really come to believe but we don't really know what happens to this woman. She's reaching out to God, but she seems only willing to do it in a way that's comfortable for her, that's convenient for her. And here's what I mean. The problem that, this, that the Jews had with the Samaritans is that they, they compromised what God said. And so they accepted the parts that they liked. They accepted the parts that were convenient to them, but then they rejected or rewrote the parts that they didn't like or the parts that were inconvenient for them, instead of pursuing God with all of their hearts, you know, giving their heart to him, coming to him in a way that God said is right, in a way that God said was acceptable. Instead, they came to him in their own ways. They had their own religious leaders, their own places of worship, all that stuff, their own gods mixed into it. Because, hey, what's wrong with that, right? Yeah, I, I worship Yahweh. I just also worship all these other things too, right? It's all fine. I still worship God, but I worship these other two. It actually helps me get along better with other people. My foreign neighbors, it helps me get along better with them. I think about that. And I think, man, that sort of thing's all around us today too, isn't it? It's different, but maybe it's not all that different, you know? Instead of God being the center and coming to him in the way that he says we should come to him. Our culture says you can come to God any way that you want. You can come to God any way that's convenient to you. Any way is fine as long as you don't think your way is the only way. Any way is fine as long as you don't think your way is the right way. That's unacceptable. But otherwise, you can come to God any way you want because it all sort of goes up to God anyway. Whether you, know, you, you read the Bible and worship uh, Jesus, uh, or you uh, read the Quran and worship Allah, or the Bhagavad Gita, whatever it is, it all goes the same. It doesn't really matter, right? But, but how does Jesus, like, respond to her? He doesn't let, he loves her too much to just let her go in her, uh, in her errors, right? In her erroneous beliefs. What does he say to her? He's like, that's not true. True worshipers worship the Father, the Father in the Spirit, capital S, and in truth, for they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and what does it say? His worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Guys, listen, Jesus 
is absolutely clear. Like, I don't know where you're at this morning as you sit here or where your faith is at or you know, your, your journey with God at what point you're on, but Jesus is so clear and the Bible is so clear that it, it never ever remotely alludes to the fact that there are other ways other than Jesus to God, to have peace with God. It doesn't even crack the door open a little bit. Whether we accept it or not is completely up to us, right? But the Bible is 100% clear cut. It claims to be the only way to God, the only way to experience peace with God and to experience eternal life. And, and, and with humility and gentleness and deep love, I wanna say this, if you sit here this morning and you feel like, uh, yeah, you know, Christianity and Jesus, that's like one way to God. Maybe even that's my way to God, but there's lots of other ways, you know, there's, there's lots of other stuff. If, if that's your perspective, and again, I say this with humility and love, let me just say, then you don't get what this says. Either you've not read it or you've not read enough of it. Because the Bible is 100% crystal clear. The message of Christianity, the message of the gospel is that God loves you and me so much that he made a way for us to experience peace with him through that, through the cross, through what we celebrate here in just a couple weeks. He sent God the Son to become flesh and blood, to live a perfect life and to die for you and me, not as one of many ways, but as the way, because he loves us, for us to experience peace with God. If, if this weekend, if this morning you sit here and you're like, that's a struggle for me, because we live in a culture where that is an, un, an unpopular perspective. Wait a minute, you think I'm wrong? I think that what God says is right. If this morning you wrestle with that, I really encourage you to bring that to God because a religion that's comfortable for me never leads to lasting peace. A, rel go that next, you gotta, a religion that's comfortable for me never leads to lasting peace. If I try to go to God the way that I wanna go to God, I, I, peace will be elusive, I promise you. So, so let me say this, whether you're, uh, I, I, I don't know if there's any kids, teenagers, adults, parents, grandparents, whoever, we will never be at true peace with God if we think, we'll never be at true peace if we think other people liking us and accepting us is gonna bring us that peace. We'll never be at true peace if we think I'm gonna go to God the way that is comfortable for me, that's convenient for me. We'll never experience peace. But I'll tell you what I've seen true in my life and in the lives of many of you, many others, only through Jesus, our peacemaker, leads to lasting peace. And guys, I, I say that um, because I believe it with every ounce of my being. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Like he's very clear. He, he, whether we agree with him, accept it or not, he says, I am it. And I remember in my life, I mean, I came to know Jesus when I was 20, halfway through college. And it was the beginning of college when I started searching for God and looking for peace because I felt 
the weight of my sin. I felt the weight of the chaos of my life, my bad choices. And I looked in a lot of different places for peace. And it wasn't until I turned to Jesus and didn't just say, you're my way. Didn't just say, yeah, you're a way to God. But when I accepted and believed that he is the way, that God loved me so much that he sent Jesus, that changed everything. And that peace that was so elusive for me previously, I finally had. And so I challenge you, I'd encourage you this morning, you know, as, we're, as we enter into the Christmas season, we sing about peace on earth, peace has come. You know, we sing about in these songs. Maybe this morning you feel like, I don't know, I don't feel like I've experienced a whole lot of peace or I'm searching for peace and maybe I'm searching in some of the wrong places. I'd encourage you. I'll, I'll leave you with this challenge. When, when the woman comes to Jesus and, she, and Jesus says, can I have a drink of water? And she says, you shouldn't be talking to me. Then Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Here's my challenge to you. Have you asked Jesus for living water in your life? Like as you wrestle with all this, have you asked? In Revelation 3.20, it says Jesus stands, it's a beautiful image, Jesus stands at the door and knocks, waiting for us to open the door and invite him in. Have you opened the door? Have you invited him in? Have you asked him for the living water that wells up to eternal life that he wants to give us, that leads to a peace that's different than any other peace that we could experience in this life? If you haven't, I challenge you this week, I challenge you this morning, this Christmas season, to invite him in, to open the door and invite him in and ask him for what he wants to give you.